Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 11th of February and joining me on this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Weathers There is no spoon Tech Editor Mark Hodgkinson Never send a human to do a machine's job Games Editor Mark Botwright Really good noodles And Audio Reviewer Edward Selly I know this steak doesn't exist Welcome Edward Edward <laughs> My mother <laughs> <laughs> Yes I am the fire starter Twisted fire starter where are we? We're back on the podcast. That's where we are. I've uh, been listening to Tidal, Ed, and uh, and Mark, this will appeal to you, uh, dance to the 90s playlist. Um, you won't remember the 90s in terms of what you did, but you will remember the music. Yeah, some vague recollections going on there, I think. If we're doing bizarre plugs on Tidal, do check out the, I think it's on Spotify as well, the um, John Carpenter solo album. Yes, it exists, as in director John Carpenter. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's going to be a extremely long review of it coming out quite soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ed, good to see you. Chris McAnee. <laughs> I, I listened to the, after you pointed it out to me, I listened to it on Tidal whilst proofing the article and, uh, and it's very good. It's uh, very loud. I like Tidal a lot, actually. Uh, yes, and but we need to point out that there are other, other streams available. <laughs> right, okay. Um, I think Mr. Buttright did it last week. So, um, Hodge, your turn. Latest competitions. Yep. I've read it this time. Um, okay. Ending first, and probably of highest monetary value, is the uh, Yamaha SRT 1000 soundstage. Uh, I believe that ends on the uh, 16th, is that right? Following that, we've got uh, the Devolo DLAN 650 Plus Powerline Kit. So that's um, three home plugs uh, in the box. Uh, we, Greg reviewed that and, and liked it, gave it a recommended badge. Um, I think that's worth about 120 quid. And then we've got um, various Blu-rays, uh, beginning with Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, which I've not seen. Um, any good? It's totally good. Is yes, it? very good. Really? If you like uh, realistic spy films. Weak adaptation. Yeah, I do. Oh, difference of opinion at 10 to 1. Um, well, novel into the films. Be easy, isn't Willow, which I have seen, but I can't remember much about. It's from the, it's from <laughs> the 8th. <were> 10. <laughs> yeah. I think I thought it was okay. Can't really remember much about that one. And the Mad Max trilogy. Well, it was, really be- it, was, it was better than Howard did Duck. Let's just leave it at that. We'll yeah, well, that's so the Mad Max trilogy is too short. Mad Max trilogy. Get watch the first two and use the third one as a useful coaster for your drink whilst you're watching the other two. So <laughs> and so say all of us. And that one closes. I don't know. Can't see it. We got. We'll be plugging that one for weeks. Don't worry about that. Yeah, we're we'll plugging that for weeks. Don't worry about that. <laughs> is there a pilot in the room? An echo. Uh, right, so um, we are getting into a new product season. Um, manufacturers starting to get their uh, their new products ready for launch. Usually starts round about March. So we've had a a couple of um, launch events in the UK uh, for UK product. The first one was uh, Sony launching their new 2015 TV lineup. Steve, you went along to Sony HQ uh, to witness this. What did you witness? Well, in terms of the technology, I didn't actually witness much more than we saw at CES. In fact, I'd say in certain respects, we saw a bit less than we saw at CES because they didn't have a lot of the demos actually running because the TVs are still very new, you know, pre-production models. Um, none of them were on, for example, in any of the, any of the um, sort of displays. They're all just <laughs> big black mirrors, basically. Um, but we had a look at some of the technology involved, and they obviously went through it in more detail in terms of presentation. Um, in terms of the lineup, though, it's the usual... Uh, Sony confusion of loads of different model numbers, all of which seem very similar to the ones from last year, which doesn't really help. But uh, basically, they've got their flagship, which is going to be the X94C, and that uh, is the big um, 75 inch, the big 75 inch model. Then they've got the X93C, which will be in 55 and 65 inch models. Now, the only difference between these two is that the 94 has um, what's called their um, extended dynamic range pro. So in other words, it's got full full backlight array with local dimming. And the uh, 93 only has an extended dynamic range, so it hasn't got the full backlight. But uh, otherwise, they're, they're all pretty impre- those two are pretty impressive. They've got um, a slightly revised uh, design in terms of the speaker. So they're using magnetic fluid speakers for both the woofer and the, and the tweeter. 
uh, sorry, for the woofer and the subwoofer. And so they've they've made it slightly narrower and they can they can fit they can get more sound out of less physical space, basically, which means they aren't quite as bulky and the taper doesn't go all the way from the top down to the bottom. It's not as wedge-shaped as it was last year. Um it still is a bit wedge-shaped, but not as wedge-shaped. So it's not quite as big or heavy, which is probably good news if anyone's ever seen the six or tried to move the 65 inch from last year, it nearly killed me. Again, emphasis on good sound quality. I, I agree that with people who've pointed out that why don't they make a model without the speakers because I don't want them. Very valid point. Um, I guess it's something to do with production lines and economies of scale. But you'd think, you know, you're spending good money on a big TV. You're probably going to have some sort of sound system already in place. But anyway, I like the fact that Sony's trying to improve the sound quality. It's a good thing. Uh, the fact it's got things like a, you can be used with a wireless sub is good news as well. But uh, I think maybe they should give people the choice because that way, if you need the, the speakers built in, great. And if you don't, then why pay for something you're never going to use? Um, so I'm guessing they're not cheap. Obviously, in terms of pricing for any of their products that they showed us, there's no pricing yet. But they will start hitting the shops in April with some of the bigger models hitting in June, in July. Okay. Um, they really need to change the, the model structure, number and structure, because unless it says C on the end, people, you're not buying this year's model. Yes, basically, that's it. it, it make sure if you're buying, you want to buy this year's model, make sure there's a C as, as, a, as a suffix. Otherwise, you're, you, you could be well, you're buying last year's model, basically. Which was um, I don't know if that's deliberate <laughs> to try and get people to buy old models or whether they just can't be bothered to think it's, of any new numbers. It's, it's really annoying and I wish they would change it. I really do. Um, why not have a, a numbered system that goes up in tens? Every year you add another ten to the model number. Something nice and simple like that. Um, it works for Samsung, but they, they do it as a prefix, don't they? So yeah, they've they got go. a prefix, yeah. Uh, so people seem to understand the prefix, but not the suffix. I think it's only just trying to be different. Who wants to take a bet on whether they'll be using G this year? <laughs> Ooh, Samsung. Samsung. Well, they won't be going back, will they? They, 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 no, skipped, no, but they, might they skipped skip G last G. year, didn't they? They skipped G like they skipped. Hang, they? hang on, they're on H. They were on H last year. E, yeah, F. so they went from F to H, so they skipped G. Yeah, oh, they yeah, learn your alphabet, Steve. They skipped G. H, I oh, I'm thinking, I'm this week's podcast was brought to you by the letter G. <laughs> yeah, they're on F, they're on H, aren't they? So it might be I, Steve. No, no what home, I was thinking Steve. is, are they going to avoid L as well? What I was yeah, well, for. they definitely avoided G because it was G. Something that All LG's products are G, this and that, and it? Definitely. They told so them. presumably, yeah, it'll be... Uh, I don't know, but I wonder if they'll use I, because I is kind of wishy-washy. It's a bit, it's a bit Apple as well, isn't it? Mm. I think it would be J. Could be a J. Go for the J. Yeah, I reckon it's J. <laughs> Place your bets. Any- Anyway, the Sony stuff, I've got to say, um, in terms of picture quality, I thought it looked pretty good. I mean, what limited picture quality I managed to get a look at. But they went through the technology involved and, and their X-Reality, well, called the X1 chipset, which is basically like a gatekeeper. It controls all the functions within the TV. That looked quite impressive. And that's basically controlling things like the X-Reality Pro processing chip, um, which does either upscale to 4K or it scales, or it not scales, but you know it processes 4K content as well. They've also got um, their um, Trilumina's panel, panels with um, a wider dynamic, wider color gamut and an extended dynamic range with a wider dynamic range, although these are not HDR TVs. I should stress that. Um, none of the ones that I saw are compatible with HDR, although they did say they are working on an HDR TV for later in the year. So we so that so- will. Sorry, Steve, as soon as you said gatekeeper, I was off for Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Keymaster and gatekeeper. Uh, right, so that's Sony. It, it looks interesting. I quite like the look of the uh, the Slimline S. Yeah, that's um, the um, X90C, and that's um, unbelievably thin. I mean, like four millimetres for most of the length of the panel. Obviously, at the bottom, that's where the electronics and the connections and the speakers are, but for most of the panel, it's really thin. And it's designed that you can ha- you know, mount it completely flush against the wall. Comes with a sort of a U-bend um, bracket that you just hook on. And then a U-bend, U-bend. Hey, bracket. <laughs> That's so don't, don't, don't play me. You really should work in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> it's what they call it. Um, that's the 90C, and there's also the S85C, which is the this year's uh, curved panel. So there will be one curved panel as well available in the UK. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good solid lineup. Um, what panels they're using, I don't know. They didn't have the TVs on, so I couldn't tell. They wouldn't tell us. So whether they're IPS or VA, I'm guessing there'll be, a, as with last year and previous years, there'll be a, a combination depending on models and screen sizes uh, and where they source them from in the first place. But certainly they, they, they've got the usual Sony looks. Um, they, they're using Android TV now, which I've got to say, sensible idea. Outsource a lot of this smart stuff to somebody else in the same way that you outsource, outsource the panel production. Why not? Um, so I think they have a quite quite an interesting. I mean, I think Mark will probably back back me up here. 
their previous platforms have been a bit rubbish. But uh, not so much rubbish, it's just hard to get um, around. Yeah, but bitty. Typical Sony the, UIs, which are rubbish and awful to understand. Of course, the Sonys have got UView as well, haven't they, this time around? The they will. Oh, well, that's, that was going to get to that. Yeah, oh, sorry. It's fragmented, as they have been in the past. They're using Android TV as the primary smart system, which is good. And they will be, in the summer, adding UView, which means that they'll be able to offer all of the catch-up services on their TVs now. Um, up until recently, up, up until Panasonic did um, free time last year, um, the only manufacturer who could claim that was Samsung, but now um, Sony will also be able to offer all the catch services via UView. Now, that will be on a separate uh, app, if you like, which is strange because it basically means you could have sort of three different ways of accessing TV guides, which could get a bit confusing for some of the um, some of the some users. So I guess they need to sort of make sure it's integrated as effectively as possible and as simple to use because that's that's really the key now. I think looking at all the smart platforms that we've seen at CES, um, you know, the, the, the emphasis is very much on simplicity and um, integration to the TV itself and navigation, and those, those are the key areas. And certainly, looking at um, Android TV, it, it looks very good. Right, so we've mentioned them a couple of times now, but Samsung also had uh, the unveiling of their TV line, uh, Mark, for Europe, and uh, obviously we're assuming at the minute the UK as well. Um, so Samsung had held their uh, their forum, they do this every year, it was at Monaco this year, and what did they announce? Just the stuff they showed at, um, at CES, really, there wasn't, there wasn't much extension on that. Emphasis was on, oh, it is J, look. <laughs> Sorry, I did, the, the, the model numbers will begin with J this year um so who yeah. wins the sweepstakes <laughs> that was me it should have i should have known considering i published well, this story putting on the bloody model numbers in it um so yeah the focus was on the uh, suhd tv lineup which is the uh, hdr compatible stuff um three models js 9500 js 9000 and js 8500 will make up that range uh, ranging from 48 to 88 inches um to suit all living rooms um all be running Tizen, uh, the Samsung's open source. Yeah, that, it, it's Tizen and not Tizer. Yeah, it's not Tizer, Steve. <laughs> Tizen. Sorry about that. Bill, <laughs> um, you put it into my head. <laughs> yeah, and then they all look great. I mean, it, we've seen they showed nothing they didn't show at CES. To be fair, so. And I've, I've got to say, closed door demo of the prototypes at CES running HDR material, uh, pretty jaw dropping, wasn't it, Steve? Um, the, yeah, it just looked absolutely gorgeous. Really yeah, so I'd recommend checking out that video on on the site because that, that will give you a better idea of what, what to expect. Than, uh... Yeah, and if you want to hear a high-end uh, home cinema speaker system, then give me a ring and I'll let you. No, it still <laughs> looks good on the videos, doesn't it? Come on, joking apart, it still looks very yes, good. Yes, it looks okay on yeah, the video, yeah. but actually seeing it in person. Um, I mean, the, the thing for me, I don't know if you picked up on it, Steve, but you know the new gamma card, because it's bringing out a little bit more in the shadow detail, it just adds so much more detail to the image. I th- yeah, it did. Um, it, it was, I mean, obviously, I think we should probably caveat this by saying that this is, they were using specially mastered content that, um, with Exodus, wasn't it, that they were showing, on, and also they had Life of Pi. Um, yeah, yeah the, well, the, they're only but they need to be, to be mastered seems, yeah. in HDR and with a wider color gamut and using um, slightly different gamma um, to, so, you know, you kind of, they did look amazing. Uh, but it does, I think what, what impressed me was, you know, that it shows you what TVs could be capable of if we can just, they can just get their act together and get the content mastered in, in, with a, a better, you know, standard set of standards and get it to the consumer somehow. Um, then, you know, the future's looking, looking, no pun intended, very bright right now for, for TV generally. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, last year when, when Samsung were talking about, um, not necessarily near OLED. Maybe there was more life in LCD. Yeah, I kind of thought, yeah, yeah, you're just talking your game because, you know, <laughs> you haven't got any OLEDs to sell. But I had to eat my words a little bit when we were at CES because I thought this looked really, really impressive. Yeah. So this week we should be getting a, a closer look at these TVs. Yeah. yeah. So tune into the podcast uh, next week for more on Samsung stuff. So let's move on. Um, annual rumours of Apple planning to enter the web TV business. Um like that headline says, it's annual, it happens all the time, um, usually in the run-up to uh, what they're going to announce this year. Uh, again, Mark, um, this is not a TV as in a physical TV, but web TV no. as in a as in a portal. Yeah, they, they want to reinvent how people watch TV or, and interact with their televisions. So, uh, I mean, I mean, there will be a hardware device to back it up, of course. I think there'll be a new Apple TV if this happens. It's a big if because, as we said, it, it's, it must be the third year in the row we've tried this story has tried out at pretty much the same time of the year uh, that Apple are in talks with various uh, TV execs 
um, it, with a view to launching a, a web TV service that would um, aggregate lots of their content that uh, Apple would sell on, presumably at quite a high cost uh, as a monthly subscription. So it's not altogether clear, of course, because this is all rumour of how it will work, but it's probably something like uh, the Sling TV that's just launched in uh, the US where there's a, a number of networks who provide an amount of content uh, that Apple are, that they're allowed to sell on. So the way I envisaged it would be, and I can't see it working in the UK for various reasons, but because of all the free TV stuff. But um, so you could possibly uh, subscribe to ESPN Sport, HBO uh, Plus, or whatever, and just and pay you know um, a, a, a set monthly fee on on the packages that you want to actually see. Uh, uh, you, see you see, I don't think that's how they would approach it. I don't think that's how they, they would do it. I think that is. That's basing it on an existing model. I think if you're looking at Apple, Apple have to do it completely different to everybody else, whether it's just reinventing the wheel or whatever, but they will present it in, in a completely different way to that. I don't know that what the answer is, because I don't well, know. It could be but, things like maybe sports or crime TV or, or, or genres. The, the, they could I sell genre the, packages. or I don't know. It's hard to envisage exactly what they want to do. I, th- I think the strength is that Apple um, have huge funding. Uh, behind them they have a huge bank account they have enough money um to take a gamble on something like this and that will attract tv businesses that that will attract content providers you would have thought um to to, to the apple service because if there's one thing that apple can do is sell product um and if they have a good product to sell and it has uh, the right content on there and you want to be a content partner there's an opportunity there for them to to do something different what that is I don't think it's it's along the lines of existing models because why would you bother? Because everybody else has it covered, basically. On a wider level, though, why would they bother full stop? They are successful... World domination? And, and, and I, is it honestly worth the effort and outlay? I mean, you know, is anyone else absolutely... I mean, I suppose they have to look at... You know, we've, uh, we haven't mentioned Netflix for a while. We need to, I suppose, are they the most <laughs> lucrative of these platforms? I mean, and is it actually a sum of money that would make any difference at all to Cupertino? I'd, you see, I think I'd, I think that's, again, maybe missing the point because I think the point is to shift product, not necessarily to shift um, iTunes or to shift anything else. It's to shift Okay, products. but then still the omens aren't great because in, in a, a lineup of otherwise almost infinitely successful products, Apple TVs have never hit the mark no I, the I, I think it's one of the worst systems out there the the apple tv i, I you know I sold spent, a lot of them though. i spent 90 quid on one um i hardly use it i use morocco 3 because i get more of what i want and it's more uk centric um but isn't the idea that they're, they're trying to kind of take it away from the idea of just kind of browsing yeah, content they're yeah, not they're just going to get yeah. a huge amount of content dump it there and say we've bought this up if they can get their kind of predictive algorithms in place yeah, well, they, they so bought they Matcha, can, which is yeah, exactly that yeah exactly if if they can kind of prove to to the companies making content that they can sell it and they can push people towards it without people just kind of generally going through and seeing for similar series that kind of thing if they can prove that works that you know there's a there's a huge amount of money to be made yeah there. i mean i mean one of the the problems with web tv in general is too much choice and when you present people with too much choice, they end up making no choice whatsoever. But if you're more focused on what you're offering people in terms of you know, targeting the right thing that they're going, going to watch rather than giving them a hundred different films that they might want to watch, um, you're more likely to get, get engagement there, I think. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that's the way they have, they have to do it differently to how everybody else is doing it at the minute. The problem is if they want people to sign up for it, and should we say they're driving a hard bargain, they have to show that it works first, and they're not going to get the content. They're not going to show that it works without having the content first and having already signed it all up. So it's kind of a chicken and egg situation with them. Well, the fact it's been going on so long shows you how difficult it is to get these deals, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's not like a music business. You have so many owners of content when it comes yeah. to TV and, and especially film. I mean, look at Blade Runner. I mean, that took nearly 20 years, Steve, for it to get onto DVD because there were so many rights issues with it. 
Yeah, you're right, Phil. I mean, the legal complexities of any film production deal, particularly on independent features, tends to be the case that, you know, they often have different regions. So you'd sell, sell um, distribution in different regions separately, um, which happens for a lot of smaller studios. Um, and you've got um, various different uh, production deals behind the scenes. Also, things like, um, things like you know, music rights within the film uh, doesn't always apply to all media. So it can be incredibly complicated. And I think Apple's discovering that. I mean, there was talk when Steve Jobs died about, you know, an Apple TV as in an actual television made by Apple. And I think they quickly realized that that was all, no, you know, there's no money in it. Um, it's incredibly complicated to make it, something that's actually classed as a TV because it has to have a tuner in it. And then you've got different regions, et cetera. And then they quickly realized it wasn't worth the trouble. Um, what they're probably looking at now is just delivering um, their own uh, platform over either someone else's television or through a device like Apple TV or Roku. Yeah, I mean, the future is streaming. I, I, I don't think there's any no question doubt. about that now. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and it's something that we're going to move on to when we come to the movie section a bit later on. But you know, a lot of these in-house productions by companies like Amazon Prime and uh, Netflix are actually starting to win awards, um, which shows you the power of streaming content at the minute. So... Um, I think this story keeps coming back, Mark, and maybe you can correct me on this, because uh, I think um, Tim turned around and said, you know, the, the one area of the market that needs to change is how we interact with the TV. And I think since he said that, everybody's jumped on that to say, oh, they're, they're making a TV or they're going to make web TV. Oh, it's not just that. It's the purchases that made, you know, they've bought, they've bought companies that relate to smart TV technology as well. So I think that there's, there's a little bit of that adds to, adds to the, the fire. But um, it's, yeah, I, th I think it's a, it's a long way off. I think I, I can't see this, definitely not this year, maybe the year after, more like the year after that, if it's going to happen. There's just so much that has to fall into place. Um, I'd be interested to see it, that's for sure, but I just get the feeling it'll be expensive. No, I was just wondering, so if it perhaps wasn't some kind of a, a streaming service themselves, but what if it was some kind of some way to utilize you know your eye device with the predictive algorithm so you know almost like a kind of universal remote app or something like that that worked with other streaming services that yeah well again again that's what what, what matcha was it, it sort of integrated prime netflix uh, itunes various you know um streaming services aggregated their content and and sort of pulled it all together i think that's just probably part of what they'll offer them they'll do that with live tv as well so it'll be on demand and live stuff so yeah, I mean it's it's relatively exciting, but we don't we don't really know enough. Love them or hate them, usually you end up liking what Apple come up with. They they just have this knack of being very clever about how they approach different markets. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But um, yeah, like you say, will be interesting to see what happens with that. Now before we move on, here's a little question: knowing what we know, talking to the people that we talk to within the industry and so on, and without getting anybody into trouble. So no names, no companies, anything like that. Um, but if I was to say to you, how long do you think it'll be before we get day and day release of cinema movies in the home? How long do you think that is away? I'm going to go to Steve first. Um, well, it's already been experimented with, but on a proper wide scale. Uh, I don't think we're that far away from it now. I think with the changes in TV standards, I think in a few years you could see... Um, you could see um, the opportunity of actually watching day and day release movies in the same standard as you can see them at the cinema at home. Right. So if if I was to say to you, Steve, you can have this facility, um, but it's thirty pound for a one-off viewing, uh, but you can see it the same day as it's released uh, at the cinema in your own cinema, own home cinema. Would you Would you go with that? Uh, probably not, because it's fairly easy for me to get to the cinema. Um, but if you're in a situation where there's, say, a family of four or you've got a young kid or a baby even and you can't get out, Ed, for example, would like to go to the cinema but can never get away to the cinema. And it was a price where it was comparable to what he and Kirsty would pay to go to the movies together for an evening when you, when you price in things like parking and petrol and food and whatever. Then, yes, I could see that appealing. Okay. Not so Ed, to Ed, me personally, though. So, Ed, does that appeal? £30, one time only. Yeah, but you're seeing it the same day as it's released at the cinema. Um, I I suppose, speak, I, when I think about it, there are one or two films I can think of in the next 12 to 18 months where I'd at least consider it, yes. Um, presumably when you say day of release, uh, I can choose any start time of my choosing on oh, that oh, day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's made available to you at the same time as it's made available in the cinema. 
Yeah, I, I, there, I consider it. I mean, in, in terms of the second question about timeline for it, uh, such is the the risks that film companies are taking with block with oversaturation of blockbusters. It's going to happen much sooner than we think because someone's going to get very cold feet about losing an enormous amount of money and bet the farm on allowing for more uh, allowing for more people to view it straight off. I mean, the the, the reason this one popped in my head recently was because of uh, the interview. It's at the cinema release in the UK, but uh, if you're US or you use Unblock Us, you could have watched that already on Netflix in the US because they didn't release it in theatres, obviously because of the whole Sony hack thing. But interesting to see how much money it did make, even though it, it didn't have a theatrical run, Steve. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I watched it on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. Um, and and that, that's a good example where they obviously, Sony, in, in an attempt to recoup as much money as possible, as quickly as possible, pass it on to Netflix um, after a very, very limited theatrical release in the States. I mean, it comes out on Blu-ray, I think, this week in the States as well. Um, so they, they, they're moving out quickly. I think it, is, it, it makes sense. Ultimately, when you're investing such large sums of money, I'm not talking about the interview here, but you know, general sum of blockbusters, the quicker you can get that money back in again, the less interest you're paying, and, and you know, the better it is for the company in, in, or the studio in general. And, you know, already the window between um, a um, theatrical release and a home, set, home home video release is getting smaller and smaller. It's about it's three months now, sometimes shorter, depending on the film. If the film bombs at the cinema, they usually get it out on disc as quickly as possible because they want to recoup their money as quickly as possible, as much as they can. Uh, the only reason they, they don't have even shorter windows than that is because the, um, the, the cinema chains moan about it for obvious reasons. Um but yeah, it's inevitable that we're moving towards a day and date release. So you've got a choice of going to the cinema or watching it at home. You know, I've got a home cinema, so from that perspective, it would make sense to just watch them at home if I could. I think 30 quid's a bit toppy, but, um, you know, 20 quid and we're in the ballpark because then it's you know, two people go to the movies, that's 20 quid. I've got to bother getting in the car. I've got to leave the house if it's a cold evening. Just watch it in a nice cup of no people annoying me, <laughs> or, or, no noises yeah. from crowds. Or, or if you're uh, like Ed, you just don't like people in general. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so, people, so as a, a person... On an individual level, a person is fine. People are <laughs> <Humanity>. stupid. <laughs> okay, um, before we get into any more trouble, uh, Mr. Botwright, if we go this way, and if the shoes went this way, it would kill piracy overnight, would it not? No. <laughs> uh, no, there's there's no way really to, to kill piracy. You can only kind of lessen it, dampen it to a certain extent. Um, I, I just I can't really see... The situation where this happens kind of becomes widespread simply because there's the idea of this kind of huge marketing machine that the kind of window for a a film to make an impact would be so diminished that, you know, the kind of uh, publicity that something like the interview got, you know, or bad publicity, but all publicity is good publicity. Most films won't get that. You know, you, you would have to kind of concentrate your marketing so focused in such a small period of time. Uh, you know, I just think it, it it would be kind of almost impossible to carry that across all the studios. There's also the concern. I mean, it it offers, as you say, for films that haven't been desperate uh, that they're worried about. It offers a scope of re, re, uh, of pulling back costs, but you are you're robbing Peter to pay Paul because it's undoubtedly going to hit back on on home sales later on as well. Uh, because if you know, let's face it, if it's crap, most people won't bother with then doing anything further with it you'll have done a one a one-time only sale and and that's it but isn't that already the case because you can people just streaming content anyway and you know, watching it on itunes or whatever so kind of already reached that point mm. as far as home video is concerned it's it's less and less about buying something to watch over and over again it's about sort of con, you know uh, consuming that content as quickly as possible uh, I, I, mean, I should imagine for example that this weekend Jupiter Ascending opened up in the States and it bombed right it made like 19 million off a budget of 170 million right now one of us wishing they could get that out and take recoup as much money as possible as fast as possible and just shove it out into the home video market rather than wasting time in the cinema but they're gonna have to wait three months before they can do that what, what but don't I- you think though that that three months kind of helps them in a sense no because uh, some- more stuff's come out people just forget you know I mean People yeah, you get a second Jupiter ascending in two two weeks, but you get a so. second chance. You get the chance though to tie it in with something that might be coming up around the same time. You know, 
you see a lot with kind of like sci-fi films, one tends to slightly piggyback mm. off another. Um, if if a film bombs and it's bad at the cinema, no one's then saying, actually, 20 quid, I'll watch that on my, you know, on my TV. Well, that, that's it. It comes down to pricing. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, it won't necessarily stop pirating because if, if it's still too expensive compared to buying a pirate disc or watching it on Pirate Bay for nothing... You know, other piracy websites are available. Are available. <laughs> um, that, that, that's the problem. They're, they're Steve, facing. Steve, are you all right? Do you need a bottle of oxygen or something? Or you okay? Sorry, yeah, no, I was trying to, to uh, <laughs> swallow some. You're finding out that you are, in fact, hilariously allergic to cats. <laughs> <laughs> His face is swelling up like a pumpkin right now. <laughs> I swallowed some air. I can breathe for a second then. Swallowed some air. Okay. Um, the AB forums said, don't, don't look to us for tips on health and fitness. Just, don't swallow just don't, air. Whatever kids. you do. Yeah, do not swallow air, whatever you do. The upshot was I was going to belt for you, man. I don't to do that. Oh, splendid. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> uh, right, so just to wrap up on, on this one, like I say, it just popped in the head. I think it's an interesting way of looking at the market. Uh, personally, I don't think it would work. I think the only way you could convince the studios to do it would be to charge ridiculous sums of money because the first thing that would happen would be cinema chains would start suing them to do that um so i don't see it happening personally but interesting well yeah it depends on the cinema chains it's going to depend on the economic side whether it makes sense for studios to do it anyway but you know we kind of over the last 20 years we've moved closer and closer to that inevitability haven't we yeah it should be said people have experimented with it sorry but it should be said there are there is a kind of section of the public who will pay over the odds already happens just for just for convenience, because we see this with, with regards downloadable games all the time. A game gets released, it's in the, the supermarket that you'll probably know more than you know, three or four miles away and they're running it as a loss leader for £40, or you can download it on your console for 60 And you know companies like EA make a huge amount of money from those, just from people who just say, well, I, yeah. you know, for convenience, I've got that extra money, I may as well just download it. Well, it's like oh, people that buy ready-made mashed potato. Uh, th- th- there's, there. It's not just games. It's just like it's not that. Media. There is. There, <laughs> there, there are certain, certain things, but it staggers me that you that you will pay the premium for someone else to carry out a notionally simple task. So and it's so, exactly the same thing. So the answer is smash, basically. No, the answer I mean, is peel your own sodding potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, studios yeah. have started to offer films on streaming services a couple of weeks before the discs come out as well so they kind of I think that's an effort to try and push people more towards yeah. a streaming future but if you remember two years ago um, the Ben Wheatley film A Field in England had a multi-platform release so it was shown on Channel 4 I mean, it's a slightly different because it was also shown on Channel 4 um, or Film 4 that night but uh, it came out on, on, at the cinema and on um, streaming services yeah. and on DVD and on Blu-ray all on the same day and apparently it sold quite well on disc and everything. People still bought the disc. People wanted the Blu-ray, wanted the better quality, wanted you know to keep it. It didn't actually necessarily stop it from making. But it made money at the cinema too. But for people that couldn't get to the cinema or it was only showing in cinemas that are a long way away, they had alternative options. And I think you know it, it that makes sense. Yeah, uh, and if you're worth a few quid, you can do this anyway because the likelihood yeah. is that you have a, a a very high spec home cinema with a professional projector where. Um, you can speak to a film distributor and have their film delivered to your projector, inserted, watch it once, um, but you pay a fortune for it. Yeah, but it's there like are 300 quid or something like that. Yeah, right? but there are people who have that facility right now. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's maybe a little bit away yet, but be yeah. If you're David Beckham, you're not queuing up at the local city world, are you? you, you you're going to be doing that. No, you've got a nice barcode projector where you just slide the hard disk in, press a couple of buttons, yeah. s- select your Well, he doesn't number. do that. He pays some minion to do that. Y- yes, him, of so. course he does, yeah. <laughs> what, he's actually got a little yellow egg shape. <laughs> I really, really hope he has. That would be brilliant. Uh, right, so just to wrap up on hardware, upcoming reviews, uh, we've got the Sony SRS X7 wireless speaker. Who's doing that? Me. Uh, it's, um, you lucky it's, boy. Yeah, it's all right. It's good. It's good. Uh, I saw that the other day in the shop. It's enormous, isn't it? Oh, not that one. No, that's the oh, thing no. I was talking about. No, that's, I can't remember what that one's called, but that, that bloody thing is huge, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit bigger than the pictures on the internet would have you believe. Uh, but yeah, I've not started on that one particularly. I've not got my hip-hop mat out. Uh, just got to work, on, work on a few moves. Throw some serious shapes. Yeah, yeah, I need to limber up for that one. Uh, the other one's a bit a bit more uh, a bit more sedate. It's an, uh, just a normal wireless um Speaker, Bluetooth, DLA, PMP, does a lot, integrates with loads of apps, uh, very, very good. So, so this is the beatbox thing, is it? 
No, that's not the beatbox. All right, okay. Because cool. I, th- I think the beatbox. Just a modest wireless speaker. I think the beatbox is definitely our audience. Do you not think? You know, people yeah, in the yeah, late thirties, late late flashing, flashing lights, lights disco, it's missing a cassette deck. Has yeah, it got a graphic yeah, equaliser? Well. That would be awesome. Yeah, there is a graphic equaliser. Yeah, oh, we're starting our own crew here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 to be honest, I don't think any of us are physically fit enough to carry this thing. Yeah, we will. We'll, 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 <laughs> it's really light. It's Make it through the early rounds on Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, the word massive would be <laughs> would be different terms when it comes to us. <laughs> Before it was massive. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> massive waistline. Uh, yeah, so that's it. And the beatbox will be next week. At least we'd be able to bounce well, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've got images of <laughs> with us with a cap on backwards. It's <laughs> <laughs> big beatbox. Give it a laugh. No, it'd be you, Ed, wouldn't it? You're more of that what? age, are you not? Are you not what? a b-boy? Not any, what? No, what, like Chris Cross wearing my trousers on back to front? No. <laughs> I, 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 that's, I, my, it's my age, that's our age group, Phil, really. Is it b-boy, yeah. b-boy and was it body popping and break dancing and Grandmaster Flash and uh, yeah. Africa Bombata? I was into all that. According to Back to the Future, I'm supposed to be wearing our trousers inside out in 2015. I might be. <laughs> <laughs> hang, hang, on, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Mark, have you dressed yet today? No. <laughs> You're not wearing it's any not, trousers. Not, no, I'm dressed. I've got them clothed, but I wouldn't leave the house. Like this. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I've got a tartan lounge pants on. <laughs> and, an old and unmatching socks. Really <laughs> okay, um, I think we better go to games news. Okay, uh, time for games news and uh, another rumour uh, going around. This time, Nintendo might be making a live-action Zelda series, Mark. Yes, uh, might being the operative word there, um, very much in the early stages. This uh, rumour from the uh, Wall Street Journal makes it sound a little bit like it's kind of the Watergate scandal or something. You know, they've got a source um, says that Netflix is describing it as Game of Thrones for a family audience. Which means it's truly rubbish. <laughs> All the good stuff gone. Which means it's not Game of Thrones then. Um, yeah, um, you know, it, it, it's it's obviously sounding mad and it's one of those things that will probably just kind of, you know, disappear into the ether and no one will ever hear of it anymore. I mean, they're, they're, there's apparently no writer attached to this stage. Um, but... It's it's Netflix who have had some success, obviously, with original content. And, um, you know, uh, Halo Nightfall, the original series for Xbox Live, um, certainly seemed to strike a chord with a lot of fans of that um, franchise. So, you know, perhaps it, it's indicative of a, of a slight kind of changing uh, of attitudes from Nintendo towards, you know, this kind of technology. Or it could just in Japan, though, aren't they? Netflix has. Or yeah, it's or it could, could just be Netflix being kind of, you know, opportunistic and trying to find something that will, you know, resonate with a particular audience. Uh, but I'd watch it. Well, to be honest, you'd probably watch it if it was had the same production values as Button Moon. <laughs> I don't know if you're necessarily the person to judge. I, I think you may be in a bit deep on the whole Zelda thing, Mark. Perhaps. <laughs> I'm pleading the fifth. <laughs> Mark probably wants to get a bit deep on the whole Zelda thing, which is a bit worrying. Oh, shut up! You always bring it down. And when actually, I I got really confused when I saw this in the um in the running order, and I assumed mainly because I wasn't paying attention, I'm quite sleep deprived. That when you said live action version, that it was going to be like the um Philips CD Vision games from the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, I suppose if anyone could pull it off, but yeah, but hang on, hasn't there already been a terrible version of Zelda? That was ported out from Nintendo to the the live action version. You know what? I don't know. Hold on. If the to the internet. Know, Nintendo Philips CDI. I yeah, used to have go. a life. Yeah, there's the Legend of Zelda series. That's CDI games. I never owned a CDI. Well, I don't think you missed out. <laughs> to if I'm fake. completely honest. <laughs> 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 I'd, I'll never forget the. The demo I had of a CDI system where it was uh, the beginning of Star Trek 
five? Is that the one where they're in the prison? No, that's um, you're thinking of six. Six is it, right? Well, they get locked up for murder or something, don't they? Uh, yeah, Bones and, and Shatner. And yeah. Uh, anyway, and, and it was uh, that scene where they're, they're going to the prison and they're walking through the snow and it's snowing and all the rest of it, and um, the compression was so bad. <laughs> you couldn't make out who was who and what was going on. It was just blocks of white everywhere. It was terrible. But that was the future at one point. It was, yeah. Yeah, VCD, and, that was, that was and the it was, go. It was right next to Laserdisc as well. And you know what? I bought the Laserdisc player. I wonder which would be worth more now. Laserdisc, I would imagine. The Laserdisc has some residual value. The CDI has no residual <laughs> value. There's yeah. a, I don't tiny, know, a terrible tiny, tiny number of, of, of Laserdisc players which are worth big money. Um, and everything else is just landfill, unfortunately. Yeah, and I'll never forgive Steve for selling his one because I would have had that in a heartbeat. And did you have one of the elites, Steve? Yes, I did. <laughs> did it have wooden side cheeks? Yep. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'd it was a thing of pure beauty. I don't know why I saw what I was doing. I've got a 919, but that doesn't have wooden side cheeks. But it is a magnificent gold colour. So, Mark, does the new uh, Nintendo 3DS have wooden side cheeks? No, no, unfortunately. I used to have an Atari 2600, which had the wooden frame. Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. You, you can actually buy that for your PS4 now, can't you? Like a wooden frame that goes round about it just to, for nostalgia. And, right, and rightly so. There's not enough wood being used in <laughs> electronics these days, is there? Yeah, there's no. not enough wood in electronics, yeah. AV forums, the cutting edge. <laughs> Panel well, you'll, get, you'll get splinters. Do you want me to go on to about the three? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, please. Save us, yeah. please. Um, yeah. Um, hopefully review should be up by the time this potty goes up. Um, it's pretty much as you'd expect for... Uh, you know, Nintendo have got this history of revising consoles and adding bits and kind of, you know, never really messing too much with the overall design when it's just a, a general update. Um, but the big selling point of this one is obviously it's got this C stick, which is a little analog nub for um, camera Stop control. Using the word nub, it just sounds wrong. All right, an analog teat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's. It takes a little while to get used to, simply because, uh, you know, anyone who's generally played consoles and is used to using two analog sticks to have something that's kind of asymmetrical just seems a little bit strange to start with. It doesn't fully kind of um, replace the idea of a secondary stick for camera control because you do get used to the idea of, you know, where your thumb is placed is, you know, where you, you're kind of used to seeing where the screen will be. Um, this, though... Once you're acclimatized to it, it makes all the difference in in the you know Majora's Mask, the game that hopefully review should be up as well by the time this podcast goes out. Um, but also the big selling point is the stable 3D, um, which basically means that the 3D on the 3DS now finally works. Um, it, it was always an odd choice to to release a console with 3D effect, a stereoscopic 3D effect that broke if you moved your head off axis in any way so you had to be staring straight at it when the console itself had you know motion controls you could use a little gyroscope and, and move about like that um so obviously the the 3d effect was always breaking with this uh new 3ds it's very very stable and it's i i've always tended to turn it off for anything that you know where it wasn't too necessary um now i've got to say i'm going back to a few old games and you know stuff like Pilot Wings looks fantastic on it. Solid. Sounds good. Word. F -f -f fresh. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what we should call ourselves? Let's uh... Groove Matrix, <laughs> <laughs> which, which was the name of um, Anton Deck's band in Biker Grove. <laughs> oh, we Not can't Testicular can we? Sound Express, Peter Griffin's one from Family Guy. <laughs> 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 or indeed, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> Breakdance 2 Breakdance 2 Electric Boogaloo Yeah Isn't that still One of the worst films ever It's <laughs> up there With Weekend at Bernie's 2 And you know Not being that good Oh the The The, the, the other one that Always gives me memories Of my childhood Was Beat Street I don't know if you ever saw that <laughs> Acting was Rings about. Freaking terrible I'll plug the games broadcast And we'll move on <laughs> Yeah 
Is that tumbleweed again? Uh, yes, yep. Games podcast should go up on the 14th, uh, fingers crossed. Um, obviously, we haven't... Uh, I don't think we... Well, no, we well we haven't had a potty since the the Windows 10 announcement, so that's probably going to feature stuff like Hololens, um, also uh, Battlefield Hardline Beta, and probably get onto Halo Five and the beta feedback from that as well. Drops Mike. <laughs> <laughs> is is that games news? That is games news. What's at the cinema, Steve? Well, this was last week, rather. <laughs> Get it right. I'll do that again, shall I? <laughs> last week, there were three major film releases, one of which you've already mentioned, which was The Interview, which obviously was getting shunted out onto the UK cinema screens, even though it's already available to watch for free on Netflix if you can access it in the US, which I did, and it's rubbish. Don't bother seeing it. Um, review is up, though, if you want to read that in more detail, but the short version is it's crap. Uh, the other films that opened up were Jupiter Ascending, which is the new film from the Wachowski siblings, and um, this was supposed to open last summer and got pushed back to February. Never a good sign. When, when a student does that, it's never a good sign. You know, so I need a bit more time for post-production, a bit more time for effects. Yeah, no, it was obviously not doing very well in test screenings and they panicked and got it the hell out of the summer release schedule. And I can see why, having now seen it. Um, it's, it's, for want of a better word, batshit crazy. It, basically, if you just imagine taking Star Wars and the Chronicles of Riddick and Dune and, you know, Serenity or Firefly, shoving it all together and then dropping acid. That's kind of what watching this film is like. It's just bonkers. Um, there's more exposition than you can shake a stick at. It's, I mean, I know that they're, they're meant to be creating a large universe for a, a franchise of movies after spending $170 million on this turkey. And it takes $19 million in the US at the weekend. There ain't going to be any more, I can tell you that. In fact, I think they'll count to be lucky if they ever get to make another film again with a budget bigger than about £10.50. Because uh, it's just mad as a hatter. Uh, it's got, yeah, it's got um, Channing, Channing Tatum, who I quite like, actually. I think he's a very charming bloke and, you know, he's all right. Um, he's playing this, this sort of bounty hunter guy who's part dog. Um, apparently being part dog means you've got little pointy ears like an elf and a ginger beard. Um, yeah, and it's always some fangs too. But it's just ridiculous. It's it's, it's in, the, in this girl played by Mila Kunis, who is the voice of Meg in, in, um, in Family Guy, but is actually really hot and roller. Um, it turns out to be she's a Russian immigrant who finds out she owns the earth. And I'm not making any of this up. And they've got Eddie Redmayne, who must have been so glad the film opened up after the ballots closed at the BAFTAs and the Oscars, <laughs> because he looks like, as I have to quote Mark Comodio, he looked like he spent his life being, he looked like he spent his entire life being flated by life. You know, he's just got this look on his face. Uh, he sort of either whispers words or screams them. It's a, a most, it's without doubt one of the worst performances I think I've ever seen from anyone. <laughs> I, um, you know what, Steve? I'm dying to see this now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bit. There's a bit where um, they have to go to a bureaucratic planet and they're going, oh, I don't want to go there. I'd rather fight a war <laughs> this than this like place. The oh. And basically it's pure Gilliam. You know, it's basically people queuing up and being sent from one department to the next. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, when did this turn into a Terry Gilliam film? It's, it is mad as a hatter. Um, what can I say? Dialogue is trite and terrible. The effects, in fairness, are quite, production design-wise, it looks gorgeous. I mean, you can see what the money went. There's no question about that. Look incredible. Um, Sean Bean's in it, and he's the best thing in it by miles. And he's, I think he's part B. So there you go. And um, <laughs> the clues in the name. He collects bees. Well, you know, he's a, uh, an a apiary, isn't it? And uh, he goes, oh, bees never lie. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 brilliant. I mean, I was just sitting there in the cinema thinking like, who green lit this? <laughs> They must have been so off their nuts on cocaine when this one went past the pitch meeting because it just doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, anyway, so that was, I mean, I'll give you the credit. It's fun <laughs> in a sort of bad, so bad it's good way. But um, yeah, it's just all over the shop. Yeah, and, yeah but Steve, if you were being dragged to the cinema this weekend, you'd rather go and see batshit crazy Jupiter Ascending than Fifty Shades of Grey, would you not? Yes, yes. I will go and see Fifty Shades of Grey because I'm a professional and dedicated to the site. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yet the One Direction movie still goes unreviewed. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, Junior Ascending. So that was uh, the first film I saw. And I thought, OK, fair enough. And then I nipped into the other cinema next door to watch Selma, which I have to say was absolutely fantastic. Um, it was a breath of fresh air after the madness of, of um, Juba to Ascending to see, you know, a proper film <laughs> about real subjects, and real people. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, I'm amazed, actually, that it's been, when was he, 68, he was assassinated, isn't it? So what's that, 47 years? Yeah. It's been nearly 47 years before Hollywood got around to making a film about Martin Luther King Jr. This is that film. Um, Selma is, um, was, uh, basically, they, what they've done is, they've rather than trying to cover his entire life in a, in a single movie, they've taken a short period of his life, which is basically the Selma marches, and covered that. And so the film starts with, uh, with him receiving the Nobel Prize in 64, and goes through to the march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama in 65. Uh, and it's um, you know it's it's a really good movie. It's really tightly constructed and written. They use um, actual FBI wiretap and and surveillance logbook demo, um, logbook entries to so uses transitions from one scene to the next because um, they're covering a short period. They've got uh, a lot of real events going on in there. You know, it's, it's quite action packed actually, surprisingly for this kind of film. But you know, there's there's a lot going on between uh, King, who's who isn't portrayed as a saint, I have to say in the film. You know, he goes to Selma knowing what he wants is for the authorities to react. They want them to beat people up on the streets because he wants their cameras there to the rest of the country and see what's happening. So he's you know, it's fairly cynical in that sense. Also, they do briefly touch on the fact that he was having lots of affairs behind his wife's back. But um, he's got meetings with him and... Um, uh, Lyndon Johnson, and the only complaint about the film would be that Lyndon Johnson is, is portrayed as being very difficult. About you know, he's always got, he's basically he's kind of bl blocking the narrative momentum by trying to stop King from doing certain things. But in actual fact, I think Lyndon Johnson was probably one of the you know biggest proponents of civil rights that America ever had, and and his administration did more than anybody to get this legislation through. But obviously, he needed some sort of dramatic uh, context, you know, sort of conflict in it. And, and Lyndon Johnson writes it. And then he's labeled Tom Wilkinson. You've got Tim Roth, who's playing George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, who's great in it as well. And David Oweo, who's also English. So, and, and his wife, the actress playing um, Martin Luther King's wife, is also. So, basically, the four main roles are British actors. I'm, I'm guessing there are some American actors they could have hired. I don't know why everyone in it's English, but um, that's the way it goes. But it, it's a really good movie. It's it's um, well directed by an African American woman, which is incredibly rare for directors these days. Female directors are rare enough, but an African American woman, I think that's the, she's the only one I could think of. Um, but it's nice to see someone other than Spike Lee or Oliver Stone doing it. And, um, you know, the film's, as I said, tightly structured, uh, beautifully acted, really, really brilliant performance from the lead, who really embodies um, Martin Luther King. You know, you would almost forget it's, it's an actor sometimes. It's a great performance, full of good performances, in fact. Um, very, uh, doesn't shy away from the brutality of what happens to, on these marches and, and the, some of the racial, racial violence is quite shocking at times. Um, it's, but it gives it a sense of veracity and, and, and immediacy that makes it, you know, it really takes you straight back to the 60s. And it also reminds you that in my lifetime, People couldn't vote or being stopped from voting, didn't you know? People being segregated in the United States, you know, you you realise that racism is endemic within U.S. society, and it always has been. And um, I, I think it's a powerful and moving film, and I'd recommend seeing it. The highly, okay, we well, did highly we... recommend seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, <Okay>. Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> was some Yoda syntax there, wasn't it? It really was. <laughs> uh, we've we've already touched on Fifty Shades of Grey opening on Friday. The other one's yeah. Two Night Stand. Um, is it Valentine's weekend by any chance? Yeah, take a wild guess. <laughs> I, I will be going to see Fifty Shades of Grey, as you pointed out, uh, Phil. Um, I, I'm not really that keen because it's obviously based upon a book that was popular with women uh, and uh, not so much with men. <laughs> I'm going to drag my girlfriend along so that she can at least give a female perspective on the film. Just wait for the Lego version. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's going to be better. <laughs> And what what's this two night stand thing? Oh, it was a comedy where um, uh, Miles Teller, in fact, Miles Teller, who uh, was the lead in Whiplash, quite a good and young up and coming actor, I have to say, is a comedy where he um, sort of has a one night stand with a girl, and then they get snowed in together. So what becomes a one night stand becomes a two night stand, and uh, they have to sort of hang out together when when really they just wanted to get apart and go home and forget about it. So that's what that's about. So rom com. So as you pointed out, Phil, because it's Valentine's Day this weekend. The other film available I haven't didn't get a chance to see, but apparently really really good is Shaun the Sheep, our animation film. Maybe that's the one I'd go and see. Well, because no, <laughs> yeah. it's Valentine's again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it opened last week, Mark, for the record. Is it a full movie? Like, yeah, yeah, no, it's like eighty-five minutes. But apparently, it's it, almost entirely silent. You know, it's, it's no it's real drama. It's been getting some pretty good it's reviews, actually. Really good, really clever, really funny. Back to, album back to their best, to be honest. And why haven't you gone to see it, Steve? Um, 
Well, I can only fit so many films in in one day, Phil. No <laughs> I wasn't sure it really fitted our demographic. We're all interested. I, th- I think, yeah. <laughs> get along, get reviewed. Uh, right, moving on to Blu-rays. Uh, what's coming up next week? There is the latest version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Oh, good. Uh, well, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, which I'm mainly reviewing because it's got Dolby Atmos soundtrack and Air and Henty. Henty. <laughs> 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 One way to guarantee disc sales to enthusiasts, put a Dolby Atmos soundtrack, yeah, yeah, even if it's yeah. the biggest pile of shit ever. <laughs> i got three Atmos films so far, Transformers, <laughs> Spendables 3, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That tells you all you need to know. Luckily, this week, I'm also getting John Wick. Thank God I'm going to get a half-decent film to watch in Atmos. Um, also coming out next week, and will be a competition prize by the time you listen to this uh, podcast, is The Babadook, which is an Aussie horror film that has been... Well, I didn't. I missed last year. I wanted to see it cinema, but it just wasn't playing anywhere near me. Um, but it looks absolutely superb. It's had very, very good reviews, and I'm really looking forward to checking that one out. We've also got season four of Game of Thrones, so just to sort of wash our appetites before season five starts in the beginning of April. Um, we've got season four of Game of Thrones. Now, you know, I wouldn't normally recommend buying TV shows on, on Blu-ray because you can watch them on Netflix or other streaming services very easily these days, and it generally tends to be a lot more cost-effective. But Game of Thrones has got production values that would equal most movies these days, and it's one of the few series that looks absolutely stellar on Blu-ray, so I am buying that on Blu-ray next week. And the other films coming out next week, which a uh, review of which will already be up by the time you listen to this, uh, reviewed by Chris, is Rabid, which is... Um, the David Cronenberg movie, his second film from 1977, um, starring ex-porn star Marilyn Chambers. And um, yeah, you can imagine what to expect from a Cronenberg movie. Body horror, violence, sex. Um, so it sounds good. Uh, before we uh, we go into our, our main movie subject uh, for this podcast, Steve, uh, the BAFTAs happened at the time of recording this podcast uh, last night. Any surprises there? I mean, we don't need the full rundown because... Um... No, no. Uh, yes, uh, no real surprises in the actor actor honours. Um, Eddie Redmayne won for playing Stephen Hawking in A Theory of Everything. Um, and Julianne Moore won for Still Alice, um, where she plays a woman with Alzheimer's. Whiplash, um, J.K. Simmons picked up the Wharf Best Supporting Actor for Whiplash, absolutely, definitely guaranteed to get the Oscar, I think, now. And um, um, Patricia Arquette won uh, for Best Supporting Actress for Boyhood. The Boyhood was the big uh, surprise, really. It won Best Film and Best Director. And I think given that um, Birdman had won Best Director only that weekend in the States, everyone was expecting um, Alejandro Inaritu to win. But um, no, Richard Linnator won for Boyhood. Best Film for Boyhood as well. Uh, again, not a bit of a surprise. It had been a front runner, but it kind of lost steam over the last couple of weeks. And um, I think this now puts it back in the front for a possible victory at the Oscars. I think Boyhood was a great film. So personally, I'm pleased with that. Uh, I think you know, it was a daring and courageous movie that you know, you'll know you never, ever see the like of it again. Uh, and for that reason alone, it's, it's, it's worthy of some sort of recognition. But um, they were the big, they, those were the big uh, winners over last night. Oh, well, last night, as a point of recording this uh, on Sunday night, I suppose. Okay, thank you very much for that. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, a thread which is running in the movies area. Um, so, who is the scariest movie villain in your opinion? And I'm going to go to Mark Botwright first. Um, ooh. You know what? I, th- I think someone mentioned uh, one that I definitely agree with, uh, Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Just because it's kind of that that idea of fighting against an institution it's it's what she represents that makes her all the scarier um but in in kind of classic style um perhaps go back to the original terminator because it it was such a kind of dark film and there was this sense of kind of brooding and foreboding like it it was a character that was was chasing you throughout the whole film It, it never felt it always felt kind of claustrophobic it always felt like it was it was a chase movie well, like a you know escape was impossible what a lot of people forget as well is that we were still in the middle of the cold war when that came out and you had all that emphasis on it as well you know the the end of the world and you know the this enemy that's this afternoon is going to chase you down and defeat you and um I, I think if you see it now it doesn't have the same impact as it did back in 84 no, it feels very tense. It definitely feels like it's it's kind of a film as much about the Terminator as it's about kind of, you know, the nuclear apocalypse that was going to come as well. You know, they weren't just kind of running away from the Terminator. It's, it's what he kind of symbolised. And it, lots of kind of dark night shots. It was very much, yeah, very, very kind of uh, foreboding. Good villain. Yeah, good choice. Excellent. So let's go to Hodge. 
Uh, I don't really get scared by movies very much, but I think there was one when I was younger, and it actually, coincidentally, it ties in with the uh, BAFTAs, I didn't realise. It's um, Magic with um, Dickie Attenborough was was in, uh, and it's the ventriloquist dummy. And I think this came out in 1978, and I reckon I probably saw it uh, probably the year after, so I was nine, and I was terrified for nights about that. Just I find something creepy about dolls and and stuff. I find I find that that really works on me. Sort of. What did you make? Me. What did you make a child's play then? Sorry. Child's play. Oh yeah, I can't. I can't remember. That that would probably would have creeped me out as well. Any, anything like that. Yeah. That, yeah. Is that the something? um. It was um. Andy Hopkins, wasn't it? He was the ventriloquist, and the, the doll was made to look obviously like him. Yeah. And, uh, and, and his name in did. the film, just for a bit of triv, his name is Corky Withers. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. There you go. I'll start calling you Corky from now on. <laughs> Bill, uh, Corky, yeah, Corky. That, that that genuinely gave me the willies. But other than that, I don't really find you know all this Freddy Krueger. It's just laughable. All this kind of stuff never scared me any of that. Oh, Jaws as well, I guess from uh, the Bond movies. He scared me when I was a kid. I thought you meant the shark. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> no, not the shark. No. But but yeah, I mean, but the the shark was a villain, and and uh, if, if that had any effect on a generation, it was the shark that stopped people going in the water. And it gave sharks a really bad name, didn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm struggling to think of one for myself, so I'm going to think a little bit longer. Uh, Withers? As a kid, easily for me, the scariest villain was the child catcher in Chitty Bang Bang, which I, I thought was really scary. As an adult, um, <laughs> I reckon uh, definitely um, Don Logan, um, Ben Kingsley in Sexy Beast. He was, he was pretty scary. <laughs> you wouldn't want to meet him at Dark Alley. Um, Mr. Sally? Kathy Bates in Misery. I mean, obviously, yeah, there's confliction about, you know, obviously sent over the edge and all sorts of other things. But nonetheless, uh, I, I, that I just that, that very few redeeming features. And then, um, because as I say, with Jaws the Shark, it's it's there's an ambiguity. It's a wild animal. I always felt that the Alien Queen, or just as it is, the Alien and Alien. There's, uh, an, it's an unhealthy combination of it being an animal but a really kind of clever one and I've, I've always thought it was perfectly villainous and very shiny yeah there's mm. a certain malevolence to the alien queen isn't there rather yeah. than just being an efficient killer like the alien yeah but there's but it's still just enough animal to it that it's you know there's no element of reasoning with it you know, again, going. I suppose with the, there's a similar essence with the with, with the Terminator. It's a good call there. Uh, but his his 80s hair um, sort of takes the edge off that a bit, whereas the alien has dated rather splendidly. It must be said. You, you see, know. Um, I guess because of my previous life, I've met some really scary people in real life. So to get movie villains that even come close to that, because there's always that disconnect. But if, uh, and I can't remember the guy's name whatsoever, uh, but it was um, No Country for Old Men. Oh, you mean Javier Bardem? He absolutely nails that. I know that guy in real life. I've met him. I've stood in the same room. Bloody scary. Did he have luxuriant hair? Not quite, but... <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, the, as soon as I saw that fit, I knew him. I've started, yeah. Scary. Um, it's as, the sociopathic as, kind of. Oh yeah, vibe. It, it, it's that you just don't know what he's going to do next. If and, you've, and and he has, he has no sense of right or wrong. He has no feelings whatsoever. He will do what he what he wants to do. And see, and there are some to help you. Yeah, there are some films that kind of based on true stories that tend to have that. I remember when I was young watching. Um, anyone ever seen Ten Rillington Place? Yeah, yeah. John Christie, uh, Richard. Yeah, my wife's My wife is related to him. What? what the real John Christie? Yeah, uh, yeah he was, was, <laughs> was Christie. He was Christie Halliday, which is uh, my, my um, mother-in-law did a whole family tree, and that, this was the big, the big finding out of it. Yeah, so something, something like related uh, to a serial killer. No, I'm not. Yeah, well, not you, yeah, but you. Yeah, well. but my wife is. So yeah, I, sl- I sleep downstairs sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and he take a bath when I'm alone. <laughs> I mean, if we're, if we're talking about being scared, I think the the only time I the, the, the one that gave me nightmares for months afterwards, uh, because I was a kid when I saw it and I shouldn't have seen it, 
uh, parents went out to the supermarket and I shoved uh, the video cassette in and started watching it and that was American Werewolf in London. I know it's not really a bad guy, but if it was anything that actually scared the living daylight out of me, it was that film. And it, and it was were amazing. Wasn't it it wasn't necessarily the, the 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 monster werewolf either. It was the dream it was the dream sequences mm. that just. Oof. Someone's mentioned uh, um, on thread, but um, good point, which is Frank from Blue Velvet, Dennis Hopper. He's, he's I mean Hopper. I think probably was a scary man in real life. <laughs> he's pretty scary in in, in Blue Velvet. <laughs> Stay puffed, marshmallow man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'll tell you who I'd go for as well as being very unnerving and frightening is um, Brian Cox as the original Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter. Yeah. Very unnerving performance. Like, you know, he, def- he never just the only colour in that in that entire cell is, you know, his, his, his pallid skin and even that's not got much colour to it. It just uh, looks like a, he would kill you without a second thought and, and is always one step ahead of you. And I also thought that they, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman made quite a good villain in Mission Impossible 3. Because of the way it was structured, he starts off with him shooting Tom Cruise's wife in the head. You're kind of being for that moment on, you know, this villain means business and you can't, you know, it's, it's going to be bad. Um, and I kind of like, I like that idea of villains who don't muck, don't monologue, don't muck about, they just do it. Uh, and therefore, you know, you're always on on edge. Yeah, well, I'm the, obliged. My, my wife has just handed me a small piece of paper and there's a bloke to point out, uh, um, Pennywise the Clown. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah. that, that's, that's her clowns generally to be perfectly honest are pretty scary well, I've yeah, never stuck my arm down a drain it, since watching that it's more a case that um, <laughs> clown, clowns have Why really been destroyed by Hollywood because that's where he lived, he lived in the drains sorry Ed clowns have been destroyed by Hollywood I mean um, the latest iteration of American Horror Story with uh, Twisty the Clown mm. yeah um, and the American Society of Clowns basically sent an open letter going, "Come on, we, you know, we have already been basically vilified out out, out of existence. Could you just let up now, please?" Uh, it must be said, a, a, a Twisty the Clown Halloween costume uh, is going to go great guns next year. It's just phenomenal. Um, but yeah, off topic. Uh, but is Free Show any good? Because I haven't seen it. Yet. Um. Thanks to uh, a two-foot-tall individual with some irregular sleep patterns, it's kind of fallen out of favour here. But it, it was it was going pretty well. We just sort of had too many Channel episodes on, left over. Uh, Fox or FX, whatever the bloody hell they're calling it this week. Right. Okay. Oh, sorry. That. Just actually one from yesterday. I was trying to remember because I, I watched it because I saw it was on Sky On Demand. Um, whatever the hell is amazing Afrikaans name is, Joss Ackland's character in Lethal Weapon 2. What an absolutely, what an absolutely free of any form of remorse human being that is. I mean, so so caricature of a, a, a in, in a way, but still nonetheless, absolutely unmoved by anything. And, and he gave the world a chance to go diplomatic immunity. Yes, absolutely. So he's the gift that keeps on giving. But yeah, I was quite, you know, unusually ruthless in terms of those sort of eighties films in my probably worthless opinion <laughs> back in the good old days when, when after the nazis it was the african you know and the and the apartheid supporting south africans and then it became the british or the english rather as a as go-to villain in well all. we yeah, are but we are properly evil yeah we do it right but not english and, and we and we all drive jaguars it's good to be bad yeah it's got to be british as german like hans gruber <laughs> well that's another option yes right after that brief Resurrection. Diversion. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to that. Uh, so that's it for the podcast this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. Guns. Lots of guns. Mark Hodgkinson. Find them and destroy them. Mark Botwright. Why do my eyes hurt? And Ed Selly. You're empty. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news and video. Plus, you can leave us a rating on iTunes. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs>